This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the program on a Thursday afternoon. Sandy and Sean, Sandy Clough on my left. I'm Sean Drotar, Danny Bailey in the booth. It's uh, your show as well. Always like your participation. The caller text line is 303-831-1340. The Denver Broncos, Sandy, last week did not have a must-win game, but it was close. As I guess it's not, you know, must-win until you get that if losing, it gives you the old uh, That's e the old saying. Next to your saying. But, the, you know, there's also the mathematical likelihood of things. And for the Broncos, that may have not been a must win against the Texans to make the playoffs. But it was their best chance to set themselves in a spot to make the playoffs. They didn't do it. Now they have to take on the Chargers. And this time, it is a must win. Justin Simmons earlier this week talked a little bit about how the Broncos could bounce back. We don't need to look at it as, as being difficult to reset. I think just as easy as it was to go on a, uh, on a five-game streak, um, you know, you need to be able to have that, like I said, that same confidence moving forward and, you know, week in and week out. I mean, it's the NFL. You're not going to win them all. You're going to lose close games. Um, the fact of the matter is we were, as, as, uh, as poorly as we played at times, we were eight yards away from, uh, from winning that football game and then, you know, sitting here talking about another win. So... Um, you know, football is a game of inches, and, you know, those four or five plays that I talk about that win or lose you the game, um, we just didn't find ways to make those plays. But um, we should be confident. We have, uh, we have a really good um, Chargers team. You know, obviously, we're going to go play in L.A., and, um, you know, offensively, they do a lot of things really well. Obviously, Justin leading the pack there at quarterback, and so uh, we're going to have to be way better than we were last week in order to give ourselves a chance to win, and obviously, takeaways are going to be at the utmost uh, importance. As mentioned yesterday, good news and bad news. Uh, the good news is that the Broncos have fared very well against Chargers teams in recent years who have been clearly superior to Denver. That's the good news. The bad news is that when you say you're eight yards away, that seems like for this Broncos team, always a longer distance than they're comfortable with in a goal-to-go situation. They've been so bad this year with First down, second down, third down, sometimes fourth down in goal-to-go situations to the point where you just as well might flip a coin as count on Denver to execute. And you have, again, I think this week, an issue of trust between the head coach and the quarterback Mm -hmm. that overshadows every other consideration I think you might think of pertaining to this game. Look at around the league. And and let's even just stick with the AFC. Uh, for the moment, let's assume that Trevor Lawrence can't start this week, which seems likely, right? C.J. Beathard, Mitch Trubisky, Joe Flacco, Gardner Minshew, Jake Browning, Aiden O'Connell, presumably Zach Wilson, Will Levis, and Bailey Zappi are all expected to start. That's nine of the 16 teams in the AFC. The Broncos have been one of the few teams in the AFC that actually has been able to avoid the issue, despite the fact that Russell Wilson takes a lot of sacks and a lot of hits. Over at Sumer Sports, they took a look at quarterback production, 
and the idea of, you know, maybe the different kind of plays with, with play action and without play action, looking at play action EPA per play and non-play action EPA per play. Well, then you're looking at quadrants, if you can imagine that, sort of a data point, a scatter point where you, there, uh, Brock Purdy is all alone by himself in that upper right quadrant where you want to be. Uh, Dak Prescott is better on the non-play action plays, but he is actually better than even Purdy, the best in the league in non-play action. Purdy is the best in play action right behind him uh, to a Tongvaloa. Maybe not a surprise. Oddly, at the center point, and, and that's not meaning zero. It is at the average. So the average for the NFL quarterback on non-play action EPA per play is slightly under, it's under zero. It's negative on average. Further proof that this year's defenses in the NFL have really locked down quarterbacking in many cases, except for well, Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott, seemingly. Play action EPA per play is higher. The league average is about 0.1 per play. At the center point of that average, the people that are actually on a line, and there was right on the average, Nobody is exactly average in non-play action EPA per play except for one. Two quarterbacks on play action EPA per play are exactly average. Lamar Jackson, maybe surprised to hear that, and Russell Wilson. The one guy that's in the middle on the non-play action, Russell Wilson. By that metric, Russell Wilson is the most average quarterback in the NFL. And that is about what the eye I test think says. What we've seen this year would confirm that it's better than last year, he's, but it's not, not bad, great. But he's not particularly good. The people who said he'd be one of the top 10, 12 quarterbacks again were insane when they said it. Uh, they remain insane if they're sticking to them. I added it the top, you know, half, top 16. And I, I thought probably top 10 was too much to ask. But you go further and you go to the NFL offenses pro football focus, EPA per play, and then success rate per play, right? Success rate on plays, 43% in the NFL. The EPA per play in general in the NFL is, by the way, a smidge smaller than zero. And we're talking by point, it's negative 0.02. But the Denver Broncos and the New Orleans Saints are tied in being teams that are the closest to dead average at both. The Minnesota Vikings are the next closest. And that, too, seems like that's the eye test. This is not a bad offense, but it's definitely not a good offense. It is a, a middling offense, and despite the fact that defenses, Sandy, have been more impactful this year than in many recent years, it's still an offensive league. You still don't win games in general, Chargers, Patriots notwithstanding last week, 6-0 or 10-9 or 13-10. You win games when you get into the 20s. And the Broncos have not been able to consistently do that. And while Russell Wilson, I think, is part of it, he's definitely not all of it. This far into the season, I think we can start to understand that there are other issues. And I think it, again, gets right to the heart of it. What is the relationship between the head coach and the quarterback? And it's not one of trust. And you can talk about uh, Lamar Jackson's stats, but John Harbaugh sure trusts him. And their record reflects that trust. Uh, they are an exceptionally good defensive team, of course. And, you know, defense doesn't matter as much as offense does, but it still matters. It's the only reason why the Cleveland Browns right now are a playoff team. Correct. Uh, it's helping Baltimore. Uh, 
It even helps San Francisco. Uh, people look at their offense with great admiration, but they're third in the league in defensive EPA per dropback. The Broncos remain one of the five worst defensive teams in football on an EPA per dropback basis. Although and we that's know that probably that's probably not going to change very much. That that's a little. It probably isn't, but it, but it is probably worth noting. And I know you have that. The overall number is what it is, and, you know, the old Bill Parcells line. At a certain point, and it is, we're going into week, you know, we're going to the 13th game of the year. You probably are who, what your numbers and your records say you are. But we know that the defense has vastly turned itself around. I I understand that. Almost historically I understand that, but they're still bad. And, you know, the other games count, too. You're right. And, you know, nobody thinks Philadelphia is playing great defense. They have a better defense than Denver. Nobody thinks Tampa Bay is grading. Uh, playing great defense, the Chargers playing great defense. Detroit has been awful for a month now defensively. They're all better than Denver. Houston's better than Denver. Seattle's better than Denver. Cincinnati, New England, the Rams, the Raiders, the Packers, the Falcons. These are all negative EPA per dropback. Not teams, a lot of very good but teams. They're way ahead of the Broncos. Uh, New Orleans, uh, Carolina's actually slightly above average. So are the Giants. Minnesota is, and so. Russell Wilson, although not quarterbacking a team that's competing with Minnesota for a playoff spot, he needs to play better than Josh Dobbs plays down the stretch. He needs to play as well as Jordan Love has been playing lately down the stretch. We simply have not seen that. It's it's not good enough, and we can assess blame and find Peyton wanting, uh, find Wilson to be in certain situations, especially in the red zone and goal to go, not nearly good enough. And after 12 games, you only have five left to turn it around, and everybody has seen you now um, except the Chargers. Right. Except the Chargers. Not yep. Everybody on the schedule has seen five Denver games left and uh, at least once. Them against the Chargers. Right. And they're done with the Chiefs. They have one left with the Raiders, the only team. They haven't played yet. That was on the schedule twice, as it is every year, the Los Angeles Chargers. This game says everything. Brian Billick made that point yesterday. He said the next two games will be decisive. This one's more important than the Detroit game, but if they lose this one... Now you have to win out. Y- y- and even then, the even then, it, with the 10 rest. wins, and now you then, still run the risk of missing out. Even then, you're going to be a 500 team in conference, and that's probably not going to win any tiebreaker. In the last 10 seasons, Sandy, teams that started 6-6, six and six, 50 teams have, have reached that. Average of five per season, 6-6 six and six starts. 24% of those make the playoffs over the last 10 years. One in four. That sounds about right. But at the same time, for the Broncos, and I, I guess I would ask this to the listeners, is just making the playoffs enough? Now, I, I sure it is. <laughs> I personally think it should be because it's it's got to. Sure you have to do that first. I don't think there's a serious fan who would say that making the playoffs would in any way. That's not a bad a season. Of course, winning the wild card round for teams starting six and six in the last ten years, only five teams have done it. Winning a divisional round, it goes down to two. So now you're yeah. talking about the ceiling for the Denver Broncos is making the playoffs and probably losing in the first round, and that would still be a monumental success given the fact they haven't been back to the playoffs. Since they won a Super Bowl in 2015, but 
it's important to be realistic on what this team really and is realistic and what it one can accomplish. In ten proposition, that's being realistic. One out of every ten scenarios, the Broncos make the playoffs. That's just the way it works out. Everybody's model has Denver in about the same place. Some have them a little higher. Some have them a little lower. Uh, the floor will disappear beneath Denver's feet if they lose on Sunday because then even winning the last four probably wouldn't be good. Enough. Yeah, because the, you, that's the, the other trick here. And, and, and the Sandy, Chargers Sandy, you've passion been on it all the year. standings. You've been on it all year. Uh, the Yeah, well, one, the Chargers would flat out pass you. And potentially the Raiders, even. Well, if the Raiders, so, win, if the Raiders win and the Chargers win, the Broncos are in, Broncos last, place. Are in last place again. With, and likely with to stay four there. games to go in last place. Playoffs seem like pretty long odds. Now, the numbers would be not impossible if you win out. But again, if you go six and seven in your first 13, what makes you think you're going to win out? So I, I like what Justin Simmons said. The idea that you do have to just sort of let that loss go. Say, all right, we didn't play our best. We were still in it. So presumably, if we play our best, we'll we'll be okay. We'll we'll get a, we'll get a shot at it. And you might, because we'll talk about this more today. But I mean, these numbers are eerie, Sandy. Quarterback A has a sixty-five point six completion percentage. Quarterback B is sixty-seven point five. Quarterback A has twenty passing touchdowns. Quarterback B twenty-one. Quarterback A has six interceptions. Quarterback B is seven. Quarterback A has a 95.1 passer rating. Quarterback B has a 99-point passer rating. The first one's Justin Herbert. The second's Russell Wilson. Here's the problem. Look at the QBR numbers. They're not even close. 50.3 for Wilson to 68.2. That's that's a huge For Herbert. Well, that is and, a and big QBR, It's that's a big gap. Huge. And you huge. look at it and say, you know, since it is, a, it is a rating, and you look at it's a rating from 0 to 100, and you'll say, okay, well. 50.3 is... Yeah. Three-tenths of a point above average. 50 on the nose is dead. Is average. Average. Again, back to that word. And the Chargers are tricky because nobody has any faith in them, including me. Uh, I picked them to win last week, but I think they were favored by more than six. And yeah. I took New England in the points, which I'm doing again tonight with Pittsburgh because I don't think Pittsburgh's very good and they're playing Trubisky. At quarterback. I, I'm just taking the under. Well, <laughs> that yeah, that's probably safe. <laughs> but when Denver plays Los Angeles, you have a coach you can't trust on one side and a quarterback that the head coach doesn't seem to trust on the other yeah. side. For all the things you say about Brandon Staley, his trust in Herbert is not in question. No, and, and and when you look at those QBRs too, I always look to remind people when you get that, and you think, okay, it's one to one hundred. Herbert's sixty-eight point two, so he's eighteen percent better than Russell Wilson. Well, no, not, not really. That's not really how it works. Not how it works. Uh, I get it, I get what you're saying there, but he's not eighteen percent better in QBR. He's thirty-six percent better. That's right. That's right. that's the difference. That's that's a huge gap. Now, can they overcome that? Because their defense, in spite of what the stats say, and the stats say. The Chargers are a little better. Unexpected points added per drop back, but the Chargers is minus 0.09. The Broncos are minus 0.011, and that is a narrow gap. So I I can't see 
the Chargers winning this game with defense. Doesn't mean it won't happen because they've been playing decent defense, although you can't tell any game against New England. You can't tell. Right. New England doesn't score against anybody. No, they, I, we make that joke all the time, and it's probably not true because, you know, even at the NFL level, the worst team is still filled with the elite athletes at the NCAA. But not it sure feels like the, the Patriots would lose to any of the four teams in the college football playoff right now. Feels like it to me. Yeah, I, I don't know about that, but it probably, I, I, it's probably a slight I, exaggeration. But it, I, it is. I, but but only you slight. Get the point because if you're talking about the quality of the 53 man roster and all the mistakes made by the Patriots, and the best news for the Broncos is that they still have a game against the Patriots mm-hmm. left on the schedule. You don't get many gimmies down the stretch. That's as close as it'll that's get. as close as you'll ever They're get bad to a gimme and playing out the string, including maybe their legendary head coach. Exactly. But you don't worry about that yet. You have to nope. pay attention to you this game in front of you because to the next two. this is a one-at-a-time thing. And the injury report uh, today for the Chargers, Keenan Allen, we'll hear more about him a little bit later from Justin Simmons. Khalil Mack did not practice, but if you're thinking that's good for the Broncos, no. Not injury-related. Rest. They'll be ready to go. And those two guys have been major, major issues for the Broncos. The Broncos, by the way, uh, and it is it is Wednesday, I get it, following players were limited. That would be Pat Sertan, Marvin Mims, Mike McGlinchey, Zach Allen, and safety to Laren Turner-Yell, all with sort of a variety of injuries. We'll have to keep an eye on it. Limited on Wednesday usually bodes well for Sunday. But the Broncos have avoided the injury bug for the first time in years, seemingly, and it's it's entirely possible, you know, that that can crop up too. And so it, it, when you're completely healthy, and I get, that's why I listed all the backup quarterbacks before, the Broncos have failed to take advantage of a situation in which they have been vastly more fortunate than their AFC rivals yep. in, in as much as their starting quarterback has remained healthy enough to play in every game all year. And they still have been able to take advantage of it. And... Boy, you look back, those losses at home oh, to the Jets the, and, and the first the two Commanders and the Raiders. You, you can't lose any of those games. No. You and they can't. lost all three. And, and they have nine and wins you're, right you're, now. You're, you're digging out of a huge hole when you start 0-3 at home. Uh, the Broncos had never lost at the start of a season four straight games, their first four games at home. Even in the battle days of the AFL, that never happened. So that's where they put themselves. Uh the loss in Miami was embarrassing, but it wasn't like the Broncos were supposed to win that game. They weren't supposed to get embarrassed, but they weren't supposed to win that game. Right. They've won with one exception for six weeks now, more or less every game they really had to have. Mm-hmm. And getting a split with Kansas City for this team that was on a 16-game losing streak to the Chiefs, I, I've said for years I'll start to take the Broncos seriously when they beat the Chiefs. They beat the Chiefs. Then they had a bye week, and then they beat Buffalo to make it three in a row. And they go on and beat backup quarterbacks from Minnesota and Cleveland to make it five, and a rookie quarterback who does not play like a rookie. And the most interesting game for me this week, um, I know coaches hate the term trap games. They do. But Houston is playing at the Jets. The Jets are terrible offensively uh defensively yeah. they're not the best but they're but pretty good when you look at the epa per dropback numbers 
they've been up there in the top five, top six. I think there's six now most of the year. And they're ahead of Dallas and Pittsburgh and Jacksonville and Buffalo and Indy and Minnesota and the Giants, Carolina, New Orleans, Atlanta. Atlanta's leading its division. So this this will be interesting. I think the Jets will hold Stroud down. And, again, this is a game that Houston has to play on the road as a favorite. Last week, home as a favorite, which is not – necessarily a regular experience for the Houston Texans. This week, they're favored by three and a half points on the road. And I don't think it'll be anything other than a field goal game and maybe closer than that. So they'll be tested. Um, Indy's playing at Cincinnati. Somebody's got to win that one, and either team winning would hurt Denver. Cleveland, Jacksonville, you got to be rooting hard for Jacksonville if you're the Broncos, even though the Broncos have the tiebreaker against Cleveland. And then you have some of the late games, including the Raiders and the Vikings, which will bear watching. We'll get back to the Broncos in just a bit, but there's a lot of things going on up in Boulder. The transfer portal is open. Deion Sanders is the sports person of the year for Sports Illustrated. He accepted that last night, and the Buffaloes got a very pleasant uh, addition today. We'll talk about all of that next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. We haven't had a chance to talk about it, of course, because the Denver Broncos have been sort of blotting out the sun to a certain extent with their playoff run. But uh, surprisingly, and our own Doug Ottawell wrote a great column about it uh, over at MyLifeSports.com. Deion Sanders named... Uh, that part, not surprisingly. Deion Sanders named the sports person of the year. Something of a shock to some people because they look at it and say he coached a 4-8 and eight team. I don't think it's a surprise, Sandy, because for the first three weeks, remember the, the third game with Colorado State, the most watched game at night in the history of ESPN, even though it ended at 2 a.m. plus on the East Coast, for the first three weeks of the season, not only were Colorado Buffaloes the talk of college football, they were the locus of American sports, period. They were the thing that everybody talked about, the idea of the rebirth of the program, all led by Deion Sanders, the attention that it brought to the nature of the transfer portal, to NIL, all of these things, some of which you could look at and say good and bad. But if the point is impact, it's hard to argue Deion Sanders shouldn't be that guy. But what did you think about him winning that award? Um, Nothing against Deion, personally. But that award was a joke. And Sports Person of the Year by Sports Illustrated used to be a treasured honor, and it isn't anymore. Um, Artificial intelligence has taken over Sports Illustrated. 
I grew up in the heyday of Sports Illustrated. It was the only publication you had to read cover to cover from week to week if you're a sports fan Mm -hmm. at all. Now, I I didn't read all the hunting fishing stories, I must confess, but regardless of the sport, they had the best writers. Uh, They have a few good writers now, but they also have fake writers. Right. Sports absolutely true. They've been and they've been caught using me, this, AI, fake AI writers for their web content. This award is fake. Deion Sanders himself isn't fake. The award is fake, and there's no reason that if you're talking really about the sportsman of the year in these parts, that it was Nikola Jokic hands down delivering a championship that nobody ever thought the Nuggets well, could I'll, possibly. I'll tell you what about that, and. Um, the new My Life Sports magazine, which you can get all, all around town to go check it out, has Nikola Jokic on the cover because he's our sports person of the year. As and he should be. I will tell you, behind the curtain, that was a debate that we had at Mile High Sports because it was between Deion Sanders and Nikola Jokic. And uh, I was not the deciding vote by any stretch. And we, we have a lot of people, you know, Doug Ottawill and Dan Mormon and Nilo Pierre, we have a lot of people that, that are involved in the creation of that magazine. And I was on the side of Nikola Jokic because, along uh, with what you said, someone who was, I, 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 I was born and raised in Colorado. I've been fortunate to live in Colorado my entire life, which has taken some finagling when it comes to a career in this business to stay here. And the one thing I had thought ever since I was a kid is that the Denver Nuggets will never win an NBA title because the way the NBA is structured, the fact that the the rosters are so small, it by default tends to favor the big money teams. When David Stern ran the league, if it was up to David Stern, he would have rather had the Knicks and the Lakers every single year in the finals and basically helped to structure the league to function that way. Or Boston or Chicago. Giant megalopolises uh, every single time out. It's It's a credit to Adam Silver and the NBA of today that you look across that league and you see a lot of different teams and you see parity. Milwaukee, Denver, yeah. Oklahoma City, Sacramento, Orlando. Yeah, absolutely. You see a, a better league because you want to know the reason that, and you would know it, it's the heyday of Sports Illustrated. The reason the NFL overtook baseball is because NFL fans quickly came to realize my team can win it all within the next five years as long as it's run correctly. And well, you're correct to point to Sports Illustrated, though, too. Sports Illustrated had a lot to do with football becoming a certainly pastime. certainly <laughs> come on and, and and some of that becomes with the fact that that every team's fan base felt they had a chance even so the nuggets never win a title without nikola jokic the nuggets aren't even in the conversation without nikola jokic the nuggets have never had a player of this level and they have had hall of famers i mean good to say david thompson was the guy that michael jordan looked up to Alex English scored more points than anybody in the 1980s. Look it up. And Nikola Jokic as easily eclipsed those guys and led the Nuggets to a place where I literally thought never, the Colorado Rockies, I literally believe, because the Rockies got to the World Series, had a better chance of winning the World Series than the Denver Nuggets had winning the NBA title. And well, they got are there as the reigning champions. They got there quicker. Far quicker. And... I would argue that even though they both happen to be in Denver, Jokic, in part reinventing the NBA on the fly in his manner of play, should have actually won that award over Deion Sanders, even though they're both in this state. 
I agree. I agree. And it's not a criticism of Dion. No. We talked about it throughout the month of September uh, on this show, in other forums that we were a part of. It was the story, not just locally, but very much nationally. It was the football story, the month of September, and maybe even into October. But they crash landed. They really did. And that made it all the more heartening today amid much news that was not viewed as being especially favorable, that the Buffs got Jordan Seaton, the five-star offensive tackle, and beat out for his services next year, Ohio State, Tennessee, and Alabama. Well, that's obviously a huge get. When you have the quarterback, when you have Shadur Sanders, you you know your quarterback, and quarterback recruiting for the Buffs, even though they did lose uh, or at least a, a decommit, for what that's worth, one of their top quarterback prospects after the questionable decision with Sean Lewis, and we'll get on that more. But landing Seton in what is the worst part of the Buffalo's team by a mile, the offensive line, landing the top tackle in the country is an enormous get. And the idea, of course, you know, players decommit all the time. That happens uh, because until you sign it, nothing really matters. But, but he kind of went the other way but because in he discounted case, Colorado originally among his list of finalists. He didn't have Colorado on his list, but this is one of the things that Deion Sanders did talk about. He said, we will lose linemen, but we will get better ones. And in this case, yes, he'll struggle a bit early, I imagine, as a freshman. But so you can't argue. Uh, he's ranked number 15 overall in the number one offensive tackle in the class of 24 in the 247 sports composite. Played at St. John's College High School in Washington before transferring to IMG for his senior season, the 10th commitment and first top 100 prospect in the 24 recruiting class for Colorado. Good work by Deion Sanders. Yeah, and it credit doesn't, work, and it doesn't happen without Deion Sanders. They weren't supposed to get him. It doesn't happen without him. And the only reason him. they got him was Deion. Period. And if you're worried, understandably so, about the idea, well, you know, it's not signing day. He could change his mind. Well, when you Probably announced, not. When you announced not. on national television over at Fox Sportsnet's uh, Undisputed that you're coming to Boulder, eh, that's kind of definitive. Enough has been said. The time has come. Jordan Seaton, next year you will attend dot, 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 which school? First off, I would like to thank God, my family, everybody who's been in this recruiting process for me, you know, it's been a long one, not an easy one, but those who've been with me and stuck with me, seeing how we persevere when times get hardest. But for the next three to four years. Uh-oh. What's in the bag seat? What's in the bag seat? I'll be Wait going to. Wait a minute. The University ah! of Colorado. Oh! He's a buffalo. Coach Brian. Somewhere Shadur is doing a handstands. Did you alert Prime to this prior or he just now? Oh, I think he's just now, right now. Really? Hey, Prime, how you doing? 
Wow. Give us a call. Hey. Listen, listen. He's not that that one he's coming in, and it's worth noting that uh, that makes a difference because even adding in Seaton, the top tackle in the class, right now at least, according to twenty four seven sports, one of the recruiting websites that does a pretty good job. They rank Colorado fifty second, which in the new Big Twelve, sixty fourth or sixty seventh or wherever they were. Well, that, that shows you where that that guy can make that difference. The early signing period opens on December twentieth, so not a lot of time to flip more guys like Seaton. But when you have a guy like Seaton on national TV making that announcement, Deion Sanders is one thing, but that's another. The, the kids that might be on the fence. That's one of the things that can be a game changer. And that's kind of how you start this recruiting process. You do have to land a couple gems. And then they help you recruit the next and the next and the next. So this is a monumental get for the Buffaloes program. Not the least because it's a position of dire need. But because when you have that caliber of player, some other guys that might be looking at a handful of finalists of which Colorado is in that may look and say, okay, they have Shadur coming back. They have Travis Hunter coming back. They added Seton. I can hop on that. We saw Omarion Miller and Xavier Weaver, Jimmy Horn, Dylan Edwards, Alton McCaskill ended up taking the medical register, should be healthier next year, and there could be more to come. So this is how you turn it around. And, and, on one hand, you're right. They crash landed at four and eight. And that's the perfect, that's the best description I've heard for it. When you said they crash landed. At the same time, if anyone thought that this was gaining any traction until year two, I don't know what to tell you because we've been very clear that that wasn't going to happen. But this alone can change the trajectory of year two. It could. And I think now we talked about six wins being the ceiling. This year, they didn't quite reach it. I think next year, moving to what should be a more hospitable conference for CU uh, is the year that they need to go from four to six. Right. That one to four for the first year was fine. Mm-hmm. But even losing seven of the last eight. But they need. Next year feels like you need. <laughs> they to be need a bowl. to win at least six. Next year feels like it needs to be a bowl. That's and and Shador coming back, uh, we thought it to be a sure thing. If anybody even had a smidgen of a doubt, this signing, this decision by Jordan Seaton confirms that the quarterback next year for Colorado will be Shador Sanders. Although I think if he did come out, he could very well be a first round. I would NFL agree. Draft pick. I would agree, uh, but I think there is more to do, and I think there is some family. Uh, there are some family factors that's going to keep him there sure. because I think they they really want to do this together, and that too is a boon for Colorado. The Buffaloes, of course, return Travis Hunter. He won a notable award. They have a new offensive line coach with a significant pedigree too, as the coaching staff shuffles. We'll talk more about that on Mile High Sports next. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Yeah, you got to believe in Coach Prime. You know, have an opportunity to play with somebody who done it at the highest level, gold jacket level. Um, 
many, very few can say they did that. You know, I got two Heisman candidates, you know, Shadir Sanders, Travis Hunter. You do. They're amazing. You know how they go. That is new addition, Jordan Seaton, the five-star number one recruit, offensive tackle in the country, coming to Boulder in the spring. Great news, of course, for the Buffaloes and also for Travis Hunter, who's got a couple bits of great news. One, you had a, a player like Jordan Seaton, but two, Travis Hunter, not surprisingly, wins the Paul Horning Award, which is the award for the most versatile player in college football. The press release from CU, from, with a statement from Hunter, said, I want to thank the Louisville Sports Commission for this award. Paul Horning accomplished great things that I also wish to accomplish and be given that award, and his name is truly amazing. I'd like to thank all my teammates for their support, Coach Prime for the opportunity to play both ways and do whatever I can to help the Buffaloes. Uh, he did everything. And we're talking about missing time with a lacerated liver on a cheap shot. And nevertheless, after missing three of those games, he still played more snaps than anyone in the country, 566 on defense, 436 on offense, 30 more on special teams, catching 57 passes for 721 yards and five touchdowns. That's top 20 in CU history for single-season catches and receiving yards. Oh, and that's also a guy that had 30 tackles, three picks, and five pass breaks up on defense. Uh, he is a generational football talent, and the Buffaloes are stunningly fortunate to have him. One of the most amazing athletic feats I've seen during oh, yeah. my 44-year stay here in Denver going. was the opener at TCU down in Fort Worth when he played every snap of significance in unbearable heat and humidity and looked as fresh as a daisy once the game ended. That was a remarkable athletic achievement. Played great. Never asked out, especially in the second half. The heat went up and the humidity went up. Remember, it was an early start. Mm-hmm. So it was somewhat bearable for the first quarter. But even on the, maybe even the, the TV first broadcast at the sideline, they were saying that on that artificial turf, it was hitting up to 130 Correct. degrees. Yep. Well, um, I'm not saying it was 130 degrees where I was sitting, but it wasn't that far off because we were uh, in back of one of the end zones 10, 12 rows up. Someone would and we to, could feel the heat. You'd have to carry me. You'd have to scoop me up into a bucket. I'd be a, I've melted into a puddle of goo at that point. Extraordinary performance there. First CU player to win any of the major national awards in 21 seasons. Mm. Impressive. And that's something. And then the name he gets and to I, go with. You know, I go back to uh, Rashawn Salam winning the Heisman in 1994. Mm, I think this was over the last 29, 30 years. As good a year as that one was for Salam, Hunter played both ways. Salam never did. If Hunter has a year like this again, unfortunately, and has a way to stay healthy, the Heisman is very much a possibility oh, I think so. for him. I think so. The last player, by the way, a little bit of a Colorado connection, not Colorado Buffaloes, but state of Colorado connection, the last player in college football to get 40 receptions in a season and three picks. I assume you know who that is. One champ, Bailey, back in 1998. So, good company for Travis. Paul Horning, Champ Bailey, Rashawn Salam. Yeah, you're in a good spot, uh, my man. And uh, it's exciting to see that. Also, for the Buffaloes, worth noting, uh, new offensive line coach, reportedly, and it's it's been confirmed through multiple reports, but the Buffaloes 
uh, and announced that they will add uh, Phil Lodeholt, former Minnesota Vikings offensive lineman, to coach offensive line. Of course, there was some turnover after the departure of Sean Lewis to San Diego State. Lodeholt yeah. and Mike Zimmer are close. There's you a lot of this. Uh, a little bit of that relationship that well, entered into the hiring. Lodeholt, of uh, course, Lodeholt. Uh, played his last two seasons in the NFL under Zimmer. Right. And you talk about Mike Zimmer, who is very close with uh, with Deion Sanders. Keep in mind, there is an uh, Andrew Zimmer on CU's coaching staff. That is Mike Zimmer's nephew. Moreover, Lodehold was at least with Pat Shermer a little bit because Pat Shermer was assistant coach of the Vikings in 2016. Before Lodehold retired, there is a Vikings connection here. It's funny because Sanders never played for the Vikings. But nevertheless, there is a Vikings connection. And it also lends more credence to the thing in the offseason that I don't love. The multiple times in which Deion Sanders has said that Pat Shermer will be the offensive coordinator. That part, I don't understand. I get it. He's your buddy. You feel close to him. You trust him. That's why he was brought in originally as an analyst. But there is nothing, and I mean this with no personal intent, there is nothing in Pat Shermer's career, collegiate or professional, that gives me any reason to believe that he can design a consistently effective offense. He has this job because he and Deion Sanders are close, not because of his resume. And when that happens, that's a concern. Uh, I agree. And he wasn't initially a part of the coaching staff. Uh, we both had good things to say about the coaching staff. Initially, in yeah. fact, both of us thought it was stronger than the Peyton coaching staff mm -hmm. out of Dove Valley. But now that he is a full-fledged offensive coordinator, that's a problem. And his record indicates that at this point in his life, it's not likely that we're going to see a transformation in the way Pat Shermer calls games. No, I wouldn't think so. And uh, With all the talent he's got. Well, and with all the explosive yes. talent he's got. And uh, if you missed it over in the Denver Post, we've had him on the show before and we'll make sure we grab him again. But but uh, a couple of days ago, Sean Keeler wrote a terrific piece in the Post about the the way that Pat Shermer coaches. And, and he had the numbers for you. Uh, at the time that happened, I understood why the, they made the coaching change. And I talked about that here. I, I didn't love Shermer being the pick, but I understood one of my complaints is that Sean Lewis did not do enough, in my opinion, to adjust the way, and we've talked about this with the Broncos, to adjust the way you had to call the game given the reality of your roster. When it was very obvious that the Buffalo's offensive line was a disaster, when they were starting to get into backups, when they were starting to get into guys that you could tell did not know who to block and where after the snap happened, you needed to change the way you called plays so should or Sanders didn't get clobbered. Well, I'm not but sure as they the did. Yeah. <laughs> but as the season, well, I don't think they changed it very much, and I understand that's it. why they moved to Shermer. But Shermer didn't make it. it they, that's only a good move if you think you're going to call things differently. And they really did it. Uh, the Buffs scored 20.25 points a game after that change. And they were averaging over 30 before. That was the ninth worst in the Pac-12. Yeah. So he failed. And the lack of recognition of failure, I think, is part of Deion Sanders' character, stubbornness, uh, that the harder you push against Pat Shermer, 
the more Deion Sanders yeah. is going to have his back. That's a good point. And say he's my guy. That's a I good point. I don't care what anybody thinks he's my guy. And that is a Deion thing. I and mean, that's it, a stubborn quality. Mm-hmm. Um, it sometimes it's rewarded. Yeah. But, you know, you, you really undermine Lewis. And I can't believe that Shador Sanders' relationship with Sean Lewis was very good at the no. end either. And, you know, I don't know how much Dion pays attention to the offense beyond his own son's health. But when the player lost confidence in the coach, usually in college ball especially, it's the other way around. But when the player lost confidence in the coach, it was over for the coach. Well, after the Utah game, here's what Deion Sanders said. Pat and I communicate really well. Pat and Sean communicated really well, meaning Sean Lewis. Pat and Shadur communicate really well on that emphasis. I think he did a great job. This does feel a little bit as, for whatever reason, uh, Shadur Sanders is more comfortable with Pat Sherman. And who knows? That's the thing we won't really know. Maybe Sean Lewis, because there is a little Russell Wilson in Shadur Sanders. The, the live to fight another day instinct is not really there. He wants to make that big play, and if he gets clobbered, he gets clobbered. And he and Wilson are very similar in that regard. They are looking for the kill shot, and if they that means they're getting rocked, they'll live with it. And perhaps Lewis, who had a quicker type of offense, maybe that didn't sync up well, and Pat well, Shermer's totally okay with That's okay. Statue of Liberty. Stand back there like Dan Fouts and wait. Sean I don't care. Lewis wasn't the coordinator when Shadur Sanders fractured a bone in his back. Pat Shermer was. Correct. So if you're talking about the level of punishment Shadour Sanders took, it didn't change. In fact, arguably increased once Pat Shermer was calling the plays. And I thought, now, the guy's got to do it for more than one game. I thought at TCU, we saw the most well-crafted offensive game plan that I've seen maybe ever at the University of Colorado, and they've had some outstanding offensive coaches through the years at CU. I mean, immediately, Sanders immediately set the program's 511 record. records. Uh, 500, yep. records. 511 yards, which is basically about a sixth of the yardage he had for the season right. in that first game. And we were talking about 5,000 yards, if he could stay healthy and all that, which was probably never uh, very realistic. But that game plan that day, it worked all day. Their defense was not great. No. And they had to come from behind not once, not twice, but three times mm-hmm. in the second half offensively. And if they had failed on any one of those three, they'd have lost the game. And then we'd be talking about three and nine, maybe, right? CSU, Nebraska, Arizona State. That's about it. We'll see what they continue to build. We will talk about that more. But, of course, uh, every you had a chance to hear it last night, hopefully, uh, Wellness Wednesday, that Sandy and Dr. Rick Perea uh, get to talk a little bit. If you missed it, you can go to MileySports.com or get the app. But, of course, uh, you have a couple things to share about. Absolutely. Doctor. And, uh, again, I've known uh, Dr. Perea for almost a full decade now. We first met in January of 2013, strangely enough, right after a soul-crushing playoff loss by the Broncos to the Baltimore Ravens. The week after that game was the first time we had Dr. Rick Perea on a radio program, and 
here at Mile High Sports, every Wednesday, it's Wellness Wednesday. And you get your checkup from the neck up from Dr. Perea, the former psychologist, the world champion Broncos in 2015, uh, joined the Rockies shortly thereafter. And uh, he was with them during a period that led up to two straight years in the playoffs for the Rockies. And of course, he has done work with the current world champion, Denver Nuggets. He also helps middle and high school performers to reach peak levels. So whether you're an everyday performer at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P today at 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933. Or to look him up at Dr. P at think1number4u.org. That's think1for u.org. The Denver Nuggets had a bit of a uh, clunker last night, or at least Nikola Jokic certainly did. You wouldn't look at it at the Ooh. counting stats, but a pretty rough game. The, the Nuggets fall to the Clippers. That's not the story, though. The story for the Denver Nuggets is help. We'll break down the game and talk about where they go now with our friend Ryan Blackburn from LA Sports next. Back in the head must be- 